0: Getting closer. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Now, today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about electrical safety. We're going to gear this towards the residential electrician on this episode. It doesn't mean that this is not great advice for the commercial or industrial uh, or service. Obviously, it does cover service electricians as well. They generally go out and do service work, notably on residential applications as well, because today's episode, we're really going to talk about that. Now, the reason is because more and more of the residential electricians I run into Um, really uh, get complacent over time. They don't think that the electricity or the the levels of voltage and things like that and the ampacity levels that they deal with are an extreme hazard to them. They think it's only got to be 480. It's only in a commercial or industrial that you really see these potentials of of having an issue uh, when it comes to the skin condition, the resistance, the current flow, effects on the body, and all that. And you know what? The I like to always say the electrons could care less. What, what, whether you're residential, commercial, industrial, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, when I'm dealing with 60 or 50 or 150 milliamps, it really does not care whether you're a residential, whether or not you're commercial or industrial. But today's episode, we're going to kind of talk to the residential guy uh, and gal uh, because they're the ones that I find routinely who send me a lot of emails, but also that they t- tend to get uh, kind of complacent over time. And so, um, electrical safety really, or safety in general, really should be a huge concern for all workers in construction trades, not just electrical. Uh, But most certainly, the electrical guys and gals uh, really need to take focus on the fact that it doesn't take a whole lot for you to get to that threshold of milliamps where it becomes a a serious hazard. Um, Now, Residential guys, you know, they spend a lot of time roughing in framing members and and, and studs and, and really working in a situation where the only power they have on the job site may be a temporary pole and they're running extension cords. Well, it really starts there because you really should check, always check, your extension cords, make sure they're not frayed, damaged. I see so many of them on a job site where the actual attachment plug is pulled out of the cord set and they still use them and they think, oh, it works fine. And, you know, you work on job sites where it could be raining, wet, muddy. Do you really want to take that risk? So me as a contractor, I always made sure that I had good cords. The moment those cords started looking bad, I got new cords. It was just my practice. Uh, you can agree to disagree if you like Uh, But I don't want to be at "I told you so moment when something happens and uh, there's an issue with that cord or something and you've let it be damaged. You you, you rip off the uh, ground pin and you say, ah, it's okay. It's just temporary. Again, the electrons really don't know whether it's temporary or permanent. They really don't care whether it's residential, commercial, industrial. Uh, They kill indiscriminately. Okay. They don't care. Okay. So... It's really important that any program you're in, that you you really talk safety all the time. Now, we're not just talking, again, safety with ladders, safety on job sites, safety in how you do the job. Uh, Again, eye protection, all this time. We're talking about, in this episode, the residential electrician and, and how to make them aware of electrical safety. Uh, Now, we're going to talk about some things today, make references to like OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, short, they call it OSHA, O-S-H-A for short. Some people just call it OSHA, Um, but we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the key terms that you really need to take away from a good safety class, like ARC Blast, ARC Flash, ARC... Uh, conductor uh, in, the, in the grand scale of a conductor not just what you think about as a, a wire if you will um, Electrical shock we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, the thresholds of, of milliamps that you need to be aware of all those type of things that can happen now again a lot of times you're roughing in a building you're residential you're doing a multifamily uh, you're, you know and you're, you're roughing it in and you're thinking well where's the hazard I mean I'm just drilling studs. Uh, again, it, it's really going to be be aware of your environment. Obviously, always check where before you drill. Um, make sure your everything is kept in the best condition. Uh, things like that, um, and those are things to really, really, really take into consideration, even at a residential level. Okay, uh, you cannot stress safety enough. Now, from the very beginning in your electrical trade, you hopefully, when you're in your apprenticeship program or in your helper program or whoever you're working for, that that you have to have a real respect for the hazards that are associated with this occupation, being an electrician. And it's I'm a very I'm proud to be an electrician, but I can tell you, even to this day, after 30 years of working with it, when I go to a job or I go to a house or I service call. I make sure that I have killed the power if I'm going to go into that box and work on it, unless I'm doing some testing. Okay. Uh, And I have non-contact tickers. Uh, I have a meter that I'll be doing a review of that it was quite shocking and very affordable that I want to share with people. Uh, You might be surprised by it. But anyway, that meter has a built-in voltage detector on the end. Uh, and it's really sensitive. In fact, I can trace it in the wall, the wiring in the wall, because it'll actually pick up the magnetic field all the way out, uh, uh, probably close to uh, 8 inches or 9 inches away from the wall. It's, it's pretty neat deal, and I, I can kind of show you how I do that in a couple tips uh, when I do that review of that meter, uh, so look forward to that. But really, the thing you want to take in, and really remember is that you can get complacent, because you're used to roughing in things, you don't think about it, and then you got to get to that stage where you're trimming out, and then of course the power could be on, and sometimes people want to rig up stuff for lights because it's dark or they're working in something, and sometimes safety just goes out the window, okay? And at some point, if you do not have a good safety plan, you do not take care and be aware of your surroundings, you're going to get hurt. And let's just hope that at some point, I like to say, you're not bonded well enough where that shock that you may receive could be deadly, all right? So, and it's not just about the shock, you know, sometimes it's about the fall. I could be on a ladder and I'm working on something and I fall off because of the shock. It's not always necessarily the shock that that gets you, okay? It's the disorientation from it that can lead to other issues like a fall issue or something like that, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we have to understand is there's, and for our level when we're dealing with the residential electrician, uh, again, I guess this could carry over into commercial industrial as well, but we're looking at understanding electrical hazards a little more. And there's really three general characteristics uh, of electrical hazards that we want to discuss today. And that is the electric shock, the arc flash, and the arc blast. So there's the arc flash, which can send out a lot of molten metal, it can send it out. It can get into your eyes. It can do an awful lot of damage as it as it actually the flash comes out. Now, the temperatures of an arc flash can reach as high as thirty-five thousand degrees. Okay, that is four times hotter than the surface of the sun. Okay, and this is all coming out, uh, and it, depending on what clothing you're wearing. Uh, which, how you're dressed that day, what you're dealing with, you' gonna put out your eyes, your hair, your skin get burnt. Um, look, 35,000 degrees Fahrenheit is nothing to play with. and those direct burns that will occur on the skin can be life altering. Now there's a lot of people that say this could not happen in a residential application and I disagree. Any amount of an actual arc flash, whether you think it's insignificant or not, could send little shards of molten metal into your eye. It could do burn damage. It could, its sensitive areas of the skin, things like that. So you have to wear the proper clothing. You have to wear the proper protection. Uh, I know to some people it's annoying to have to do it, but you really have to do it, okay? It's, it's important that you think about what could happen. Uh, there's also there's old saying is sometimes we're focused on something with one hand reaching in and doing something. But we're not always aware what the other hand's doing. Uh, and left side, right side, brain, different function. And it just can be a hazard. So always think about the arc flash condition. Okay, That's a lot of energy that gets released at one time that creates an electric arc. And this arc will actually, this this electric current arc actually travels through the air, and if you've ever seen one of those slow motion explosions from an arc flash, uh, that'll wake you up. Okay, so that's the one. Now the next thing we talk about is the arc blast. It's very possible that you could have this arc blast. Now, think about it. If you have this arc blast, you have this extremely high temperature that is caused by this exploding uh, expansion of this gas in the air. And then this metal is sprayed out everywhere by the arc flash. And so the arc blast sends this concussive wave. The speed of the molten metal that can fly through the air can get to up around 700 miles per hour. So not only do you have the flash and all that's associated with that, the burns that can come from it, but now you have the blast and it could send this molten metal out and it can go into the skin. It could puncture your eyes. Okay. Now, the again, the speed is up to and around 700 miles per hour to which this molten metal can be blown out by this the concussive blast of this arc okay uh, blast so this that's something to think about now these these pieces of metal that are going to come out of this piece of equipment so you've got that arc flash which is doing the damage there by the arc and burning burning your your skin your face your eyes now you have this and then of course that flash is melting the molten metal because of the temperature. And then all of a sudden you've got this blast that's sending all these flying pieces that are out up to 700 miles per hour, which can literally rip through the human body, okay? It's just total projectiles, high pressure, and it's a result of that art blast. What else can it do? If you don't have proper protection, it can rupture your ears. It literally can knock you off of a ladder or off a scaffolding, okay? Um, so that's really a lot of things to think about. You really should have protection. Uh, we call that PPE. That's personal protective equipment. Always be aware of that. Take it very serious. Obviously, you put a electrical condition in a deenergized condition. If you do that, then it's safe to take all that PP off, that the PPE off, and work on it. But if it's a potential for any blast it's live, for some reason you have to work on something, then you need to have your personal protective equipment on. Always wear that PPE, okay? And you always want to test your electrical equipment. And most people don't say this enough. If you're a service guy, check your equipment first on a known circuit that is less uh, dangerous, okay, to make sure that it's working properly before you end up putting it on equipment, okay? Now, if you can keep away from working on live equipment, always do it. That's the first line: is to no need to work on anything live. Okay, but there are going to be that occasion where you troubleshoot and do things where you're going to have to just be truly aware of your situation. Whether you're whether you're a commercial industrial and you're cranking out a, a, a crank out breaker or, or something that you're doing, um, just be careful because it doesn't take but an instant for something to happen, okay? So then the last one we were talking about, and kind of we'll just do a summary on those again, but electric shock. Um, Here's an interesting statistic that approximately 30,000 non-fatal electric shocks happen each year, okay? Non-fatal. They could have knocked you off of something. They could have caused some other, but they weren't fatal. Uh, But according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, there was almost 2,000 workers killed, okay? 2,000 workers killed during a 10-year period but 2005 to 2015 from electric shock. Now, half of those that were killed are in the construction trade, okay? So we were talking, you know, about of the, of the statistics, they were workers in general. Not all of them were in the construction trade. However, uh, half of those that were killed of that 10-year period, you know, 2,000 workers that were killed, half of those were in the construction trade. How about that? And guess what? Many of those that were in that construction trade, roughly half of those that were killed, half of those 2,000, half of those were, guess what? Electricians. So, you know... Electricians are the ones that are supposed to be trained. They're qualified persons. They understand the hazards, they recognize the hazards and they work with it. It doesn't matter to me whether you're a residential, it doesn't matter whether you're a commercial. You understand the hazards that you work with. Uh, a lot of residential electricians, be honest with you, again think that the voltages they work with, the 120, 240, um that will does not present the same opportunities for electrical shock than you get in commercial or industrial work okay they are totally wrong I'm telling you right now the shock hazard exists in residential wiring just as much as it exists in other areas that you might commercial industrial okay now I'm going to make an attempt to try to help you understand that so that you can have a healthy appreciation of the shock hazard that's dealing with the residential work but of course, You can take this into the understanding that if it's a serious issue with residential, then it's obviously an issue with commercial and industrial. I just want you to think about this. So for the apprentices, the journeymen, the masters, hopefully the master already is in this mode of safety, constantly thinking about safety, teaching their apprentices, teaching their journeymen about safety so that the next generation teaches others. We need to cut that number Uh, dramatically down we don't need to have electricians and the way i guess it here it's 500 electricians uh, that were killed because of electric shock uh, between 2005 and 2015 one is too many to be honest with you okay now let's kind of give a little understanding of so we get the basics you know electricity refers to the flow of electrons whether you're talking about uh, a theory uh, or what not, or whether it actually happens. The concept is, we're going to keep it very basic, is that when electricity refers to the flow of electrons through a material, the force that actually drives those electrons, or actually creates the reactive uh, type of reaction from the electrons... Uh, and actually makes the electron flow possible, even the concept is known as voltage, okay? So voltage is putting that actual force behind it. Now, any material that actually conducts electricity is called a conductor, okay? Now, examples of conductors used in the electrical industry, obviously, we're familiar with copper and aluminum, okay? Uh, these, these substances we're very familiar with have very little resistance to electron flow, so it makes them really good conductors. But to be honest with you, any material or substance through which electricity flows is called a conductor. So bus bars, things like that, they can be considered a conductor. So we have to understand terminologies in wire and what we're dealing with. But again, if that material is of which... That electricity could flow through it because it is conductive, then it is considered a conductor. Alright, now the su- substances that we deal with that have very little resistance to flow uh, is those copper and aluminum products. But what about the things that is very high resistant? Well, obviously, that's the insulation that's on the conductor, that protective buffer between the conductive medium and actual parts, metal parts and things like that. And that is insulators. A good example of that is rubber, plastic, porcelain, those type of things. Um, And, of course, in the wire, it's the thermoplastic, which is your THHN, THWNs. And, of course, your rubber-ish style, which is a cross-linked polyethylene. It's not the same as a rubber that you see in a cord, but it is coming from that family UL44. And it's just called a cross-link because of a cross link chemical reaction. It's polyethylene. All right, so those are good insulators, okay? So electricity likes to flow along the path, a complete circuit, uh, and typically the path begins with a power source, uh, whether it's at your panel, uh, and it actually flows through the conductors to actual whatever the load is, and then it flows back on another conductor all the way back to the source, and current flows from the load back to the source, uh, and it flows from the source to the load. Uh, and we'll just talk about that in general terms. Okay. Now, let's talk about... It's, it's very important to point to consider at this time is the human body can, under certain conditions, really become a conductor and be a part of the electrical circuit. That's something that we want to keep in mind now, that if the conditions are right the body can become part of the circuit. Now, when this happens, the results, sadly, are fatal. If it's from hand to hand, then it's gonna transfer through the body to the heart, and that becomes a problem. Uh, We do our best to not put ourselves uh, in that type of uh, position, where the current's gonna flow through our body and complete that circuit. The good news is most of the time we work with things, we're not being part of the circuit. We're touching something uh, and we get that tickle, which you shouldn't because you should de-energize or have on PPE. But at the end of the day, um, the reason that we might not get uh, killed when we get shocked on something is because we have shoes with soles and and rubber soles and and we have a lot of resistance in our body and things like that in... we're just not a perfect conductor, but we can be very quickly, all right? Now, an electrical circuit that includes a human body is, that can be part of a circuit. um, Because the way the body is the circuit, current will flow from the right hand, travel through the right arm, through the heart, through the lungs, through the left arm, back to the circuit, and then through the left hand. The, The amount of current that flows through the body really depends on the body's resistance, and we'll kind of touch on that here in a minute. Um and of course the voltage of the power source can play a role in it. Now there's a relationship among current voltage and resistance in an electrical circuit. And it wasn't it was many, 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 many years ago that a man named Simon Ohm discovered is I think it's George A, but it's I just say Simon Ohm discovered this relationship many many years ago. His discovery resulted in a mathematical formula that later, obviously, we know today, or what you should learn in your apprenticeship class, uh, is Ohm's Law. So, current equals electric force divided by resistance. Now, current flow is measured in amperes. Okay, That's how we measure it. Uh, Electrical force that's actually, as we talked earlier, that actually makes it possible for electron flow... It's called voltage, and we measure that with our voltmeter, so it's measured in volts. And the electrical resistance is measured in ohms. Now, ohms being the omega symbol, ohm. Uh, Remember that the lower the circuit's resistance, the greater the current that a voltage can push through that circuit. Okay? Remember that. It's important to remember that the lower the circuit's resistance, the greater the current that a voltage can push through it. Think of that conductor sizes. Okay, the larger the conductor, you're going to lower the con- the circuit's resistance, and you can get greater current flow through it. Thus, larger conductors, larger ampacity values. Now, skin condition, something to think about. Um, when we're talking about skin, dry skin. It fluctuates between a man and a woman and how dry somebody's skin is versus the other. Uh, it can be anywhere between a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand ohms. That's just dry skin. Now when you're sweating, you get sweaty hands and you're touching something, you're working with electricity, you're working with wires, it can drop all the way down to a thousand ohms. Now, in water, if you're completely wet, then the body, the skin condition on the skin can even drop down to as little as 150 ohms. Okay? So, that's pretty important things to, to take into account. Now, some common resistant values in that human body are those that we just said, but dry skin offers much more opposition to current flow. Why? Because of a lot higher resistance. Once you start working in it, you start perspiring, or you're working in a condition where your body gets wet, then you have an issue. Remember, the higher the ohm value, the more opposition to that current flow. So if we can lower that resistance, then more current will flow. So obviously in this condition, when we're trying to size conductors, we go bigger size because we can get more current through it. Well, not necessarily a benefit for us on our body if we really take our skin condition, and we press fire, or we're in water, or it's kind of damp where we're at, or something like that, and you start getting a lot of condensation on you, depending on where you're at, or whatever it is, then what happens is, you lower that resistance, and when you lower that resistance, more current can flow, and current is what's going to cause the major part of the problem, Okay. Uh, let's see here. Now, the interesting thing about the current flowing through the body. Um, I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens. So you get a healthy understanding of of what really happens as certain levels of current flow through the body. Uh, and so there's some things that you want to take away. Hopefully you got this in your apprenticeship class. I teach this in one of my ACDC theory classes. Is that remember that. A milliampere, okay, just a a little m, large a. Uh, Think about this now. A milliamp is one one thousandth of an ampere. It's referenced decimally-wise is .001 of an ampere, okay? So it's one one thousandth. It's a very, very small amount of current flow. Now, we're used to things like our kitchen countertops, uh, a minimum of two 20-amp small appliance brand circuits, um, and we're familiar with the regular circuit layouts, maybe a 15-amp brand circuit in the house. So, when we're talking about the effects on the body, we're talking about in milliamps, one one-thousandth of an a single amp. So... Why do we kill people today in the electric chair and pump 50,000 volts through them uh, and uh, do different things like that? It's it really, it's, it's the amount of current that we put through them, but at the end of the day, it's about shock and awe, right? Uh, that's what we want. We like their eyes popping out or whatever it is we do, uh, and we're supposed to end them quickly. Well, to be honest with you, you're going to see that it doesn't really take a lot of current to get the job done, so they can pump a lot of voltage through. I understand, but it doesn't take a lot of current to to get the job done. And so, let's kind of look at it a little bit. A very small amount of current can 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 cause a serious serious issue. Now, consider the situation in which a residential electrician operates uh, a faulty 120 volt electric power drill. You don't check your equipment. You don't keep aware of your cords you, you use those cords where the plug cap has come out of the end and you've got electrical tape all over it it's just beat to death you don't take care of your equipment you don't roll it up right you don't put it away we're just going to talk that aspect of it because a lot of people think where's the hazard when i'm roughing in something there's no all right so a typical 120 volt electric power drill you're boring holes through two by fours two by six studs um, it's a hot and humid day. It's in the middle of the summer. I'm out in Texas. You get to sweating pretty good out here, right? So like you and me, the the electrician will perspire heavily. Uh, he'll end up, and the drill will get wet. He'll end up with sweaty hands. So let's kind of look at what happens. So the electrician's body resistance would be reduced to about a 1,000 ohms. We talked about that early. So perspiring... Uh, It would be about sweaty hands. It puts it down to about a 1,000 ohms. Um, Now, if that electrician becomes part of the electrical circuit because of he's using a faulty drill uh, or a faulty cord or something that comes into contact with it, the amount of current flowing through the the electrician's body could be dangerously high. Now, the current flowing through the electrician's body can be calculated using um, Simon Ohm's calculations here in his theories Uh, and here's what it is so we're going to assume it's 120 volts you use ohm's law and the resistance is a thousand ohms so current in amperes would be 12 volts uh, or uh, divided by excuse me 120 volts i don't know why i said 12 divided by 1000 ohms all right so you think "Eh, that's not bad okay 120 volts divided by 1000 ohms well here's the thing even that little condition that is 0.12 amperes you say well it's not even an amp yeah but it equates to 120 milliamps just in that situation just with that simple 120 volt circuit that that simple aspect of sweaty palms on a normal installation day so now let's kind of keep that in mind that's 120 milliamps now let's look at the effects on the body now this study was actually done. It is, is you can get this from uh, OSHA, uh, NFPA seventy e, kind of these concepts. But current flow. So when it's less than one milliamp, you really feel no sensation. Okay, you don't, you won't, you probably won't even know it. Now if you get about one milliamp, you might get a light tingle and a light you know, sensation. Now, again, women or men are a little different. Five milliohms, slight shock fill. It's not going to be painful, but it's going to be disturbing. It's going to be discomfort. Some people can let go with this. I mean, that's not a lockdown uh, level of milliampers. That's why most of the GFCIs that are out there are going to have that 4 to 6, but we call it 5 milliamps nominal. But they're designed to not activate uh, 4 and less, and they're designed to activate 6 and above. So we just call them... uh, 5 milli, uh, milliamps nominal, um, but it does cause strong involuntary actions, which may lead to injury. So you might get shocked, and it's it's a mild shock, but you might pull away. It's not painful, but it's startling. And if you're on a ladder, you're on a lift, scaffolding, then you could fall off. You could knock somebody else off behind you. You, you throw your arm back, and you could hit somebody. I mean, it can happen you could have a tool in your hand and you throw it and somebody down below you gets hit with it, okay? They're not wearing their hard hats or or whatnot. Um, So, but again, the chances are if you don't fall off the ladder, then you will survive. And that's where our GFCIs are designed to protect you at. But let's go just a little higher because remember in our example, we were 120 milliamps. Now, 6 to 30 milliamps. Think about it now. 6 to 30 milliamps. Now it says can be def- uh, can definitely be f- can feel the shock. It may be painful and you could experience muscular contractions which cause you to hold on to something and not be able to let go. If you're dealing in a panel, you're dealing with something metal, you don't think about the ladders you're using or the scaffolding you're using or whatever and it's metal and it gets energized and it's 6 to 30, you could get latched onto it and you literally can't let go. And you're going to sit there. And as you sit there and perspire, the uh, contact resistance in ohms is going to start dropping even more. And what happens when that resistance drops? You have more current flow. And more current flow is going to cause even more serious implications. Now, that's just 6 to 30 milliamps. What about 50 to 150 milliamps? That is a very painful shock. You actually could stop breathing at this level. Now, remember, our 120 milliamps falls right in the middle of this category. That electrician on the job with a simple corded drill could simply get a shot, shock and stop breathing. Okay? Death is very possible at the range between 50 to 150 milliamp years. Okay? We're not even near one amp yet. I mean, we aren't. Okay? So I tell you, you have to take this serious. Now, let's jump up. Remember, all of these circuits uh, are usually 15 amperes or 20 amperes, so we've got more capacity there, right? So 1,000 to 4,300 milliampers, the heart goes into convulsions. A ventricular fibrillation. It means it flutters and it won't allow oxygen to pass to the brain. That's why we have things like defibrillators that try to shock it back into rhythm. All right, now paralysis means you're breathing, your diaphragm freezes, you're unable to breathe, so you suffocate. Usually at this stage, you're going to die. Now think about it 1,000 milliampere. Remember what we talked about earlier? 1,000 milliampers, that is one ampere. Think about it. That's all it takes. Now, let's go even higher, 10,000 milliamps. At 10,000 milliamps, cardiac arrest and severe burns, death is probable. Uh, And again, the effects for the current lasting one second at a voltage level found in residential wiring systems, higher voltages will cause severe burns. But the key to remember here—that I don't—that I want you to, to take away from it—is that you you can have this condition very easily, even in residential applications. Do not think that this is something that's only to be a concern for commercial and industrial electricians. Okay. It is a very serious CERN either way. Now, let's think about another situation. Okay. Um, now, even in that situation at 120 milliamps, you know that electrician could receive a shock that's enough to cause him or her to stop breathing. Okay. And without medical treatment, that might be all she wrote. And uh, I don't want to see any of my brothers and sisters that are in the electrical industry suffer for that. And if you think you're too good to get shocked, then you've got a problem, okay? Uh, it's what I call denial. Be very, take a, a a complacent attitude will get you or somebody else hurt because other people pick up on bad habits. Now, let's look at another situation. Now, what about a resident electrician using a faulty 120-volt uh, hammer drill, and masonry anchors to install an electrical box on the side of a brick wall of a house. Simple process. We've all done it, okay? Uh, The home's nearest outside receptacle is not close enough for the electrician's extension cord to reach, so he opens a nearby window and runs the extension cord inside the house and plugs it into the receptacle located in a bedroom. It happens. Okay, he can't get to that outside receptacle that's required by the code, so uh, he's going to run it up through a window. Okay, now, the bedroom receptacle does not have ground fault circuit interrupter protection because it's inside. It's not the outside receptacle that would generally, in 210.8, require GFCI protection, but the electrician doesn't think about that. He's busy getting something done. He's outside working and needs to get this box up. Hopefully, obviously, he doesn't have any idea what a cordless drill is today. But anyway, he does it, and he got complacent. He didn't think about it. So, as the electrician begins to use that hammer drill, it starts to rain hard. But he's going to get this box in. Water begins to puddle around the electrician's feet. He needs to get this job done, so he continues using the hammer. Obviously, it gets all over him. It gets gets onto the cords and the drill and the ground. Now, if the electrician comes part of the electrical circuit because of a faulty hammer drill, the amount of current flowing through the electrician's body could be dangerously high. The body resistance, in this case, we talked about earlier, drops down to about 150 ohms. And that current amount is well in excess of the shock required to cause paralysis of breathing. So here, let's do the math on that one again. So if we take 120 volts divided into 150 using good old Ohm's law, we see 0.800 amperes or 800 milliamps. Now, look, do not become a shock victim because you get complacent, okay? Understand the conditions Analyze it before you get into it. Think what could happen. Okay. So look, also it's important to think the longer that you're in the electrical circuit, your body, that's the beauty of a GFCI, the longer that you're in the circuit, the greater the severity of that injury is going to be. Okay? So think about those type of things. It's it's really important. Now the National Electrical Code is A safety-driven minimum safety standard, okay? That's what it is. And so its effort is to try to have safe installations. And that's what we're trying to do with it, is have safe, compliant installations. Understand that if you're residential, that the hazards are very much there, that you must Take the precautions, understand the safety conditions. That's what we're talking about here. Get familiar with NFPA 70E. Okay, That's the standard for electrical safety in the workplace. It's not a big book. It has really great, uh, the way it's broken down and talks about PPE. Uh, it, set, it sets a actually hazard risk categories and things like that. And all that's kind of changing in the uh, the twenty eighteen cycle of the NFPA 70E. But really you have to think about training and, and don't just think because you're a residential electrician that it it's not ever a safety concern. Uh, there's a lot of aspects in the OSHA Safety and Health Administration uh, OSHA guide. Uh, you really some of the areas that you would look at would be Title 29 part 1910 which, you know, covers OSHA's regulations for general industry. And, uh, and then, of course, it has the Title 29, Part 1926, which is cover the regulation for the construction industry. Kind of get familiar with those type of things. There is what's called a, in the 1926, uh, Title 29, there's what's called Subpart K. And that deals with electrical. It's really great to read and understand it and, and have a, a very healthy understanding of what electrical safety is and how to deal with it. Okay. Uh, get some safety training. Understand what personal protective equipment is. Understand the lockout tagout. Um, the uh, Title 29, Part 1926, Subpart K, electrical. Um, We kind of abbreviate that and call it 29 CFR 1926, Um, but you also have what's called a 1910 subpart S electrical, which we refer to as 29 CFR 1910, which is going to cover a lot of topics for uh, safety, training, wiring methods, safety, all these type of things, lockout, tagout, circuits, procedures. Be familiar with all those things. And really take some safety. But look, if you're just a residential person, uh, you can really start by understanding the, the real core basics of electricity and what you're doing. Don't get complacent. Well, that was just kind of a little bit of a talk on electrical safety. I just don't want the residential folk to take it for granted. Many of you are not going to dabble in OSHA, you're not going to get an NFPA 70E, you're not going to try to understand some of the hazards that are evolved, um, so this kind of wanted to give an overview of things to be aware of, uh, in, uh between the ARC blast, ARC flash, electric shock, uh, body's resistance, all those type of things to take into account, uh, we wanted to talk about all of them, so... Uh, Hopefully you got something out of it today. Uh, If you have a podcast that you'd like to hear us about, let us know. Send it in to us. Email us at info at masterthenec.com. I'm more than happy to produce a podcast on whatever topic you'd like to hear. This one was requested for residential safety, so I figured I'd do a little podcast on it. Uh, Visit our website at masterthenec.com. Listen to our Facebook and uh, our podcast our podcasts on Spreaker, but you can get all our podcasts from our website. Um, If you'd like any more information from us, feel free to email me at info, I-N-F-O at masterthenec.com and more than happy to answer any of your electrical questions, safety questions, uh, and all those type of good things. Until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. bright.